0: Greetings to those who watch below. Here we are with another step on our paranormal tour of the US, and today we're heading to Montana. But before we start, I'd like to say thank you to Steffi Ray, Lefty Kim, MA Way, Julie B, Chris BLK Chris, Tegan S, Tasos Keramaris, LT Punisher 666, Wicked Witch, Lisa Watts, and Christina Groves for being those who dwell below an exclusive channel membership that you can check out using the link in the description box. Also, if you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the channel, hitting that notification bell so that you never miss a video. Also, you can find me on Instagram at brimstone underscore below, and on Facebook at the Brimstone Below Horror Channel. Finally, there's going to be part two of Never Hold Your Breath going up on the creepypasta.com YouTube page today, so make sure to give that a check out after this video, of course. But for now, sit back, relax and enjoy. The Fire Department on Highway 2 by the Cool Bus I served as a volunteer firefighter at the Smith Valley Volunteer Fire Department in Kalispell, Montana for about three years before I moved to Washington and I have had many encounters there, as well as other firefighters, although most of the staff who previously worked there think of the afterlife as nonsense, due to, and understandingly, dealing with death regularly, and dismissed mine and a couple other stories. What I myself have experienced, I have no explanation for. I believe the building was built in 2006, and it's right off of Highway 2, As far as I know, it was not built on any native burial grounds or anything like that. Many people have come and gone there since it is a very mentally and physically challenging job. You don't ever think of anything being paranormal unless you are alone in the station itself. The first encounter I had was when I had a scheduled shift there and I had baked a frozen pizza in the upstairs kitchen and was headed to one of the recliners when I heard footsteps on the roof walking in the same path I was walking, and when I stopped, so did it. I thought maybe it was my mind playing tricks on me, so I sat down on the chair and turned on the TV, and the footsteps on the roof started to pace back and forth above me. So I got up and walked over toward the door, and stood there listening, and the footsteps walked over toward me, and started pacing back and forth above me again, So, that was when I first noped right out of the living room, down the stairs, and spent the rest of the day in the computer room in the fire-engine bay. For my second encounter, it was a week before we were hosting a rummage sale at the fire station, and me and my best friend had bought a washer-dryer set, as well as other things for sale into the back of the bay area, when we both heard the loud murmuring of what sounded like some men arguing, but when we started walking towards the stairway of a storage area where the sound was coming from, you could hear a shh, shh, like whoever was up there didn't want us to hear them, and then silence. I went up the stairs to investigate the sounds, and once again, I was the only one in the area. Creeped out, I finished unloading the rest of the stuff, and we hopped into my pickup truck and took off after locking up. Even my friend who didn't at the time believe in anything paranormal had no explanation for the experience. I'd been telling my roommate Daniel about the happenings at the fire station and he wanted to go and experience it too. So, feeling brave, I said, screw it, let's go see if we could get anything to happen. Not much did happen as we were walking around the whole building until we got into the kitchen area downstairs when we heard stuff moving around and a coughing sound coming from a locked storage closet. And of course, when I unlocked the closet to see who was in there, there were only cleaning supplies and a mop and bucket. Neither of us liked that, so we headed to my car to start it up and get warm, since it was winter, and I took a few extra minutes to lock up the building and turn all the lights off before we left. As we got into my car and started to back out of the parking space in front of the kitchen area, we both saw the lights in the kitchen turn back on when I knew nobody else but me and him were there. So I tore out of the parking lot and didn't go back there until an emergency call a couple days later. After the many things I've had happen there, I refused to stay the night there again. But I brought my at-the-time girlfriend Karen down to the station one evening to give her a tour. A few minutes into walking into the station, I One of the extension cords hanging from the ceiling, plugged into a truck to keep the truck's batteries charged up, popped out of the socket, echoing in the bay and starting to swing back and forth, as if somebody had just yanked it out. She yelped and ran over to me, and I told her it was time to leave. We started walking toward the door, when we heard shuffling coming up really fast from behind us. We bolted the door, locked it, and took off. Of course, before I left the post, I had one last shift to spend there. I bought a buddy from a different fire department into my department, and since he was now probationary, he had mandatory shifts to work there, and I decided to work a shift with him one night. This night was the final straw of me staying overnight there again. My friend Ronald and everybody else thought that what I had explained to them was nonsense, and that ghosts don't exist. Well, this night changed his perspective. I was hanging out in the computer room and he was upstairs in the living room when he came downstairs and quietly sat in a chair across from me with a really puzzled look on his face. He said, I don't understand. I keep hearing what sounds like boots coming up the stairs and a shadow of somebody standing at the door. But when I open it up, there's nobody there. Not wanting to get more freaked out than I already was, I just changed the subject and we talked about other things to kill some time. Well, it was getting late and I was tired, so I decided to go upstairs and get ready for bed and Ronald was going to watch some TV and probably fall asleep on the couch in the living room on the other side of the bedroom I was sleeping in. I was in bed going on my phone when the door opened up a little bit and a shadow of somebody came quietly walking in and walked over toward the window. stood there with his hands behind his back seeing the tv on through the half open door i said ronald what are you doing dude you're being a creep come on now man no answer annoyed i got up out of bed while still staring at the shadow when i turned on the light the shadow of a man was no longer there it vanished as soon as i turned on that light i quickly peeked my head out the door and Ronald was fast asleep. I spent the rest of my night on the other couch, with all of the lights upstairs turned on. I asked him a couple of weeks later, if he had any other weird things happen there, and he said one night he was getting ready for bed, and happened to look outside the window before closing the blinds, and he saw two men dressed in suits, standing side by side in the parking lot, looking up at him. He went downstairs quickly to confront the men, and found nobody outside. He checked the security camera the next day, and not a single person was recorded walking through the parking lot. To my knowledge, nobody has died in the building, but we have had a couple of firefighters pass on previously, and their helmets are hung high upon the wall in honour of them. Shunko Warakin The Shunko Warakin or Ringdokus is a cryptid from Montana, who is described as being a nearly black beast with high shoulders and a back that slopes downward like a hyena. The Loe and several other Native American tribes in the region called the creature Shunkawarakin, which translates into carrying off dogs, because it would often sneak into indigenous camps at night to steal their dogs. The first documented sightings of the Shunkawarakin by white settlers began in the 1880s, when members of the Hutchins family settled down in the Madison River Valley. Not long after the Hutchins settled into the area, they, along with several of the locals, began to encounter a strange wolf like animal. In his book Trails to Nature's Mysteries The Life of a Working Naturalist, published in 1997, Ross Hutchins wrote the following description of some encounters that his grandfather had with the Shunkawarakin. One winter morning, my grandfather was aroused by the barking of dogs. He discovered that a wolf-like beast of dark color was chasing my grandmother's geese. He fired his gun at the animal, but missed. It ran off down the river. Ringodocus is the name given to an unidentified animal shot by Israel Hutchins, a Mormon settler in Montana in 1886. Hutchins had the creature stuffed by local Joseph Sherwood, who put it on display at his general store near Henry's Lake, Idaho, until the late 1980s, when it mysteriously disappeared. DNA testing has never been conducted on the animal. In 2007, Jack Kirby, the grandson of the man who shot the animal, tracked it down to the Idaho Museum of Natural History in Pocatello. The specimen is now on display at the Madison Valley History Museum, when it reopened in May 2007. Over many years, the Hutchins story was all but forgotten, that is until cryptozoologist Mark A. Hall uncovered the story after a group of creatures resembling the Shunkawarakin were sighted in Nebraska, Iowa, Alberta and Illinois. In 1995, following the discovery by Mark A. Hall, Lance Foster told renowned cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman of a creature he and his tribe called the Shunkawarakin that looked something like a hyena and cried like a person when it was killed. Foster, who had heard of the Mounted Ringodocus carcass, speculated that it may be an example of shunkawarakin, which he knew from his own experiences and those of relatives in Montana and Idaho. In December 2005, a strange wolf-like animal began killing livestock in the McCone, Garfield and Dawson counties of Montana. By October of 2006, the animal, now known as the Creature of McCone County, had killed more than 120 livestock animals, and appeared in several news articles, including one in the May 2006 issue of USA Today. On November 2nd, 2, 2006, the Montana Wildlife Service shot and killed a creature that may have been responsible for these killings. Originally thought to be a wolf, The animal that was shot showed characteristics that were not common with any wolf species known in the area. The animal that was killed appeared to have orange, red and yellow fur, whereas the wolves known to live in the area are of a grey, black and brown colour. Muscle tissue was sent to the University of California where DNA samples were taken in an attempt to compare it to the Northern Rockies wolf. The carcass was sent to the National Fish and Wildlife Forensic Laboratory in Ashland, Oregon for genetic study. However, no record of the results of these studies can be found at this time. Battle at Little Bighorn by Nature Hiker. I was in Montana driving from Pine Ridge Res in South Dakota to catch a flight in Billings the next afternoon. Late that day, I came upon the National Historic Site of Little Bighorn Battlefield, aka Custer's Last Stand. I had no plans to stop here. I saw it on the map, though. I figured, what the heck, it's not closed and I have plenty of time, so I turned off. I went to the graveyard beside the Visitor Centre first and thought, this is it. I then went to the Visitor Centre to learn that I could drive across the beautiful rolling hills to view where these unfortunate, deadly battles happened. I had time to go to a couple pullovers before the park closed, so I took off in my rental. I parked and walked over to the overview, while diverting my eyes towards the ground. When I looked out onto the hills at the overlook, I saw cavalrymen and native people fighting. I immediately shook my head back and forth in disbelief. Once I shook my head... I did not see anything, so I carried on with my investigation of marked graves and the natural environment. I forgot about the battle experience before walking back to my rental. Similar things to this have happened to me before, and I just count it as another experience. I drove to the next overlook, and once again was looking at the ground as I walked, totally oblivious to much, if any, thoughts. I looked out upon the hill's and saw another battle, a different battle. I could see some men on horses, and some on foot, fighting with guns and handheld weapons. It slowly dissipated. By now, it is time to leave, because they were closing the park. I found a campsite not too far away. I was going to drive closer to Billings and hang out there until my flight, but after this experience, there was no way I was going to leave without finding out if this would happen again. The next morning I was waiting at the gate before they opened it for the day. I immediately drove to the further overlooks, and at each and every one I saw a battle occurring, all different from the previous ones. I had little time to spare, so I decided to walk on the little nature trail behind the visitor centre to look for wildflowers and rattlesnakes to photograph. I happened to like to identify wildlife of all kinds, but I'm especially fond of snakes. I photographed a few wildflowers as I walked along the path, and then I was stopped dead, as if hit by a brick wall. I could not walk any further, and I felt as if there were dead bodies everywhere. I looked around, still not able to move forward, and did not see any marked graves. I said to myself, ''You're being silly. There are dead bodies here, because there are not marked graves.'' At this point, I could continue along the trail and did. When I reached the end of the trail, the kiosk basically said that this is where the deadliest of battles were fought and that there are dead bodies everywhere. I thought, well, there you go. At this point, regrettably, I had to continue my travels to catch my flight. The Damas Hotel The Damas Hotel in Butte has been described as super-haunted and terrifying. As a site of crime, suffering and desperation, any visit to the Damas carries with it a sense of weight. But over the years, both before and after the brothel closed, visitors have frequently reported paranormal activity. In historic Uptown Butte along Mercury Street sits the Damas brothel, a memory of Butte's red light district, The brothel was in operation from 1890 to 1982. It is a house of secrets, of camaraderie, and shared experiences. A visit to the Damas is sure to leave a lasting impression on visitors, while providing a glimpse at the lifestyle of the days when copper was king in Butte. While the upper floors of the hotel tell a tale of gentlemen, money, and elegant decor, the basement of the Damas ...tells a much different story, one of hardship, unease and struggle in the dim lighting. At the back of the Damas, there is a padlocked door leading to a private passageway... ...that once led to the brick-paved street known as Pleasant Alley, then Venus Alley and finally Piss Alley. Along this alley were hundreds of one-room backstreet cribs. Miners would flock to the alley looking for a good time. This alley was a violent place, seeing crimes including shootings, stabbings, beatings, robbery, and more. The basement of the Damas was once part of the burnt district and stands today as the only reminder of the activity that once defined the area. While working girls struggled to make ends meet in the basement, a number of madams occupied the front apartment on the second floor, running what was considered to be a high class establishment. From 1950 to 1955, Eleanor Knott served as the Madame of the Dumas. As the tale goes, Eleanor planned to leave the brothel with her lover on a cold night in February of 1955. She had her suitcase packed, but her lover never showed. The next morning, Benita Farron sent for a doctor after finding Eleanor's body. Her death was ruled to be due to natural causes yet there were whispers of a suicide or possible murder. Benita succeeded Eleanor as madame, moving into the second-floor apartment with her husband, John Farron. Benita died in 1971 from cancer. Following Benita's death, Ruby Garrett took over as the final madame of the Damas. On October 3rd, 1981, there was a brutal robbery, where Ruby was pistol-whipped and robbed, Although the suspect was sent to prison, the event led to a federal investigation of the business and the IRS convicted Garrett of tax evasion. The Damas brothel closed permanently in 1982. Various people have reported a sighting of a spectral woman with a suitcase in the Damas. An employee during the 1970s reported that she had been in the building alone one evening and saw a woman carrying a suitcase walk past the door of the upstairs bedroom and descend the stairs. Upon further inspection, there was no one in the building, and no one would have been able to make an exit in such a short period of time. Several years ago, an artist visited the brothel, staying in the second-floor apartment where the lighting would be ideal for painting. Each time she sat down to work, she felt compelled to paint the face of a woman she had never met, it haunted her. After multiple canvases had gone in the trash, she gave up, leaving the room to paint elsewhere. The owner of the building rescued one of the portraits of a 40-ish year old woman, wearing a hat and a coy smile. Was she Benita Farron, or Alan or not? We may never know. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave a like and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, hitting that notification bell so that you never miss a video. And if you're hankering for more US Paranormal State stories, make sure to check out the playlist that will be on the screen right now. So, until next time, sleep tight.